Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Our correspondent Joe Thomas, who's here with me at uh, the, the Echo offices, and we've got um, regular guest Gavin Buckland and uh, Paul Wheelock with us as well today. Before we even actually mention the game, Joe, I think it's only right that we um, start with the, the Echoes front page on Friday. Um, Blues dropped into the um, bottom three of the um, the Premier League um, after, um, after results in midweek, and um, we we felt was the time was right, and you did your piece. Um, say is uh, now is uh, not the time for silence from from Everton's owners and the, the power brokers of the club. A very strong piece um, which was produced and has been well received. Yeah, it has it has been well received. Um, you know, extraordinarily well received. Actually, and you know, I'm really grateful to everybody that that has come back to us and given us feedback and given us support for it because it's you know it's not an easy thing to do to come out and be so vocal and and so. Um, kind of strong in a standpoint that perhaps asks questions of the club, especially when you're in a role in which, you know, you need positive working relationships to, you know, to, to help, you know, basically to help do your job. But I thought that, and we thought that, I think the time time was right, really, to come out and say something and to be bold and to be strong and to effectively be what we hope is a, is a voice for the fan base, really. And I think it is the majority of the fan base now. I think when... You know, we know obviously things haven't been great for quite some time. And, you know, in fairness, we did a, a front page on the Echo, you know, six months ago, the, the morning after the Crystal Palace win that sealed promotion, sorry, the sealed um, survival in the Premier League. Uh, you know, we did a front page, an open letter to the Everton Chiefs, Everton board, whoever it is, basically saying that last season wasn't good enough. You know, it wasn't an underdog success. It wasn't a... You know, as, as as memorable as that night, and as good as it was, and as positive as the outcome was, you know, it was a, it was a night that should never have, have have been necessary. And we're basically saying that everything needs to be done to avoid similar scenes. And unfortunately, you know, we are what eighteen games into this season, and it already looks as though whatever happens, it looks like Everton in a relegation battle. It might not be as bad as as last seasons. It might finish earlier it could be worse but the fact that we're in this situation again is 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 of is of real concern so essentially the, the front page on friday was a, a follow-up to that and i just i just thought it was necessary i just I remember you know there are two games that i haven't really watched the end of properly the, the, since, since starting in this job back in in march of last year the first one was the palace game the 3-2 yeah. where after after the third goal went in it was just one of those you know that you're there and you know that you were right in the first version of you know of history because it was such a dramatic it was such an incredible night and you just almost can't look around everything else that's going on because you know that you know they're going to need a thousand words from you in about 20 minutes and you've got to try and sum out up this just momentous occasion everything it means and then the second one was probably the last 20 minutes against Brighton because that capitulation that 10 minutes was just absolutely horrific it was humiliating um and it was you know it was awful to watch and then just watching what happened after obviously we had the 
the chance to sack the board and we had some boos, but you know, like I kind of have alluded to a couple of times in some of the pieces that I've written or on social media, for me, the most terrifying thing that last 20 minutes was the silence around Goodison Park for large parts of it. And I just remember looking around and thinking this is a fan base that, you know, obviously we, we know how passionately, you know, Everton supporters back the club and we've seen the incredible things that they can do and how they can pull a team over the line like they did last season. But, you know, I'm not saying that they can't do that this season, but, but I think that this season now to be back in this situation, I think it's only fair that the club come out and at least explain why they, you know, why, why the people at the top of it deserve to receive that back in, why they deserve the benefit of the doubt, why they deserve for people to come out and spend their own time and their own money and come out and, and their own energy and come out in such huge numbers to do all that again. Um, because as I say, the, you know, the silence that greeted a lot of that second half against Brighton just looked around and saw a fan base that was almost resigned to what was going on. And, and to be honest, you know, I took a day after the piece to speak to people rather than writing anything out of your know, emotion immediately after the game. You know, people are worried and people are scared um, for, for what happens next. And, you know, I think it's only right that as, as the local paper and the platform that we have, that we reflect that and we ask some of the questions that they want the answers to. Yeah. I mean, Gavin, you're, you're our regular guest here, the only one of us who... who who isn't an, an Echo employee? Was it? Was it the talk of uh, you and your circle of uh, fellow Evertonians, and what was the, the response like amongst the, the people you you've seen since? Yeah, I think that the, the everything I've, I've spoke to Joe just before we came on air, as it were, and spoke on Friday. I think the piece captured not just the the communication, but but generally the wider the wider direction of the club. And it was very fair and balanced. I mean, Jack, I mentioned this last week on the pod, the stuff going on the board level is actually quite positive, isn't it, in terms of like getting the stadium up and running to, to a timetable is a very difficult thing to do, as we've seen with other clubs. Um, and obviously, we've had the strategic review. Uh, you know, So it's not necessarily a totally negative outlook across the entire club. It's just, it's just the, it's the playing side, isn't it? And, and to me... You know, it's it, it's just a, it's a, that is that's that's the area, isn't it? That that's 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 the problem. And the people I've spoken to on Friday, you know, agreed with what Joe said. To be honest with you, because it, it captures with the wider, the, with the wider feelings. We know that there are, you know, that, that there are other parties who've, who've written to the club as well. And the only, the only thing I'd say is we're not. The, I don't think we're the only club to write to. the to, to the directors last week where we in the top line. It's based it the same, didn't he? I think. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a wider problem, isn't this with this within football, isn't it? Not just Everton, I think. But it, it, it it's only magnified when the team's doing badly. Um my my thing is Machiri should say something, shouldn't it? I mean the, the correspondence that's being sent has been to Machiri. He is the one holding all the cards here. And it will be useful for him to say something in response. What that is, is I don't know. I mean, what this is always the problem, isn't it? This type of stuff is we want communication from the board, but what do we want Mercedes to say? You know, what, what the, I mean, I think it will be, from the standpoint for me, I think there should be a statement around the manager, to be honest with you, that in the first instance. 
that would be very, you know, I think that would be helpful. And um, but also, ultimately, we can people can write back, can't they, and or go on talk sports or make it, you know, have an interview on the website. But it doesn't really change a lot of the problems we have on the pitch, does it? You know, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. And you can't give too much away as well. You can't say, oh, we've got 30 million quid to spend in January or whatever. You don't let rivals, rivals know that. So that, that's that's the other problem with me is it's all very well asking for communication. I think that we should do. And, and I think the, should, the club should not remain silent. But what do we want collectively for the club to say, for Mishiri to say? That, that's the thing for me. Uh, and... and you know, and, and that, that that's the that's the problem with all this because the way I see Everton at the moment is the problems are on the pitch, and that's the end of the story for me. I mean, directors and the owner can say stuff, and I think that's great. And I think you know the point, but but, but and you touched on this yourself on the points on Friday in, in your your all encompassing article on Friday, Joe, didn't you? That those are the problems as well with like the Frank, some of them the Franks inherited and, and stuff. So yeah. I think definitely some something should be said, but what what should be said is is a different thing, isn't it? How 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 it's it's going to have to be very skillful communication to satisfy what everything that the fans want. Because as Joe said on Friday, there's a lot of issues there, isn't it? That needs talking about. Um, Paul. Um... Your professional background, of course, uh, you, you've covered Blackburn Rovers in the past and you've already made the comparisons to the Venkies there, who may have been well-intentioned, but uh, got a lot of things wrong there. You've seen those similarities already. So for Everton to be in this situation and, and for you and your involved, emotional and professional investment in that, and I mean, it's almost like history repeating itself and uh, what your thoughts are that... The Echoes piece on the, fri- on the Friday? Well, first and foremost, as the piece, as a, a colleague of Joe and, and, and you, Chris and Connor, who, who do our Everton coverage, I think I said in our group that it was, it was so skillfully done because it's a, diff- it's a very difficult position being the correspondent of a club because first and foremost, uh, the most important people is the fans. And, you know, I think Joe and everything that you do, mate, and you do, Chris, I think you get across the point of how the fans are feeling. But at the same time, whereas some other organisations don't have to go to the club, can criticise the club without actually having their hand to work with them on a daily basis. It is, it is, it is difficult. I've been in that position as a, as a Blackburn reporter. And I'm sure Joe and Chris and the pieces that you write, you don't want to be writing those pieces. You know, we want to be writing what the club made the term positive pieces. But it, that is not the time. Uh, and sometimes it puts you in a difficult position as a writer and if I don't know how the club have reacted, I've been off for a week and, you know, but I'm sure they weren't particularly pleased. But sometimes the truth hurts. And I think the reaction from across the fan base, you can certainly see on social media, the people I've spoken to, my dad, who wouldn't say he's on social media at all, you know, called me after it and said, oh, Joe's piece was absolutely brilliant. And and it, it definitely cut, cut through, didn't it? And I think it... It, it, spoke, it spoke to what a lot of people are feeling, certainly after that Brighton game. So from a professional point of view, spot on. And, and from a personal point of view, as an Everton fan as well, because that was the feeling I got against Brighton. I it, I said it after Wolves as well. It's 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 quite depressing. I don't use that word lightly, really. It's not fun being an Evertonian at the moment. And there's a lot of clubs 
across the pyramid who would probably love to be in Everton's position. There's a lot of clubs in this division. Tottenham fans aren't happy. Liverpool fans, despite all the trophies they've won in recent years, aren't particularly happy at the moment over what they perceive as a lack of investment. So we're not alone. But as Joe said then, the worrying thing me for Brighton was that silence. Yes, there was the sack of the boards, which which is, you know, speaks volumes. You know, that's how people are feeling about how the clubs run. But it was the silence. We we gave it to, me and my dad gave it till about 80 minutes. Uh, we didn't want to leave too early, but I don't blame people leaving after no, that three-goal salvo kind of thing. Mm. But the, the outside on Goodison Road, it was absolute silence. It wasn't anger. You could hear people, it was like people murmuring or, you know, conversations between the people who were walking home. There wasn't that anger there. And I thought that was really worrying because, you know, I don't know if it was an acceptance, but yeah, as you've used that word a few bit a few times, Chris, in your pieces, it felt like a browbeaten fan base. So yeah, I think the the piece was perfectly timed and, and exactly what was needed. In terms of Enki, before we started, I said to Gav exactly the same words that you yeah. you said uh, then to me, Chris. Yeah, I think Mashiri is well intentioned. I think you know he's put his money far more than the Enkis, I'd say his money where his mouth is, and the fact that. The, everything seems to be on track with this magnificent stadium that we're going to have in the in the next couple of years, despite all the problems, what have obviously been self-induced through the back, really poor recruitment, uh, but just the, the state of the world the last few years with coronavirus and everything else that's been going on. It's it's that that could be his legacy, but Gav's spot on the on-field product, which is the most important thing, is not going right. And it was exactly the same with Blackburn and Venkies. I could tell you things they did off the pitch, which they never wanted it well publicised, what they did for the community. But the football was the, the football operation wasn't working. And I've been in these situations so many times where the local paper over there, the Lancashire Telegraph, would do pieces like Joe's done, asking for mun- communication. But Venkis never spoke. I think they did once and it was very, and we, at the time, the local paper, we got it. It was Alan Myers, who obviously a lot of people listening to this podcast would know was working with Blackburn and and really pushed for Venkis to say something. But it was all well managed in the way that Mashiri's most two recent statements over the summer, you could tell was well managed. And understandably, you know, the club's got to think of PR. That's that's the way they work. But the longer it went on with Venkis, and the worse it got on the field, the less they wanted to come forward. Because as Gav said, it's it's quite difficult. What can they say? But at the same time, or what in what could Venki say to make things better? Because uh, they they can't they can't you know they can't change the results so much on the pitch. That's up to the players and the managers. But at the same time, I don't think silence is helping anyone. So that's up to the club really to get that right. I, I just see so many comparisons and sadly you know Everton a far bigger club than Blackman but obviously Blackman had the great success in the 90s when the Premier League they went down and they've not been back up and uh, they went down against the League One then came back up I've covered that championship that this the most important thing is Everton for not to go down particularly with the stadium and now you know being so close on the horizon this club particularly with its financial state and Blackman was similar because of really poor recruitment and it was in a really poor state financially, which when it went into the Championship and the financial fair play rules are different in the Championship, probably even harsher than the Premier League. This club can't go down. Something needed to be said, particularly after that Brighton game, uh, because it just can't happen. And and, and that, that last season, it felt like it could happen. But there was that Lampard, to his credit, 
you know, I know, I know there's got to be questions about how he's performing at the moment, but to his credit, he got the fans on side and then he's seen the performances of the likes of Richarlison, who's not here, who's, you know, whose absence is just so great at the moment and people like Pickford and Awobi and it, and the fans and it, everything was together, wasn't it, at the end of the season? And the worrying thing for me now is that it's not together and you had reactions like you did against Brighton, really. So, yeah, to, to round it up. It, it, it needed to be said, Joe, and I think you said it really well there today. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think it's... Um... You made good points in the fact that it's it would be hard to know what Evan should say or what they can say. And there's an element of them being damned if they do, damned if they don't. You know, they'll be criticised for, for any, anything they do say. But I just think at the minute now, I think people just need to see some semblance of, of one, of a, a, an acknowledgement of just how severe the situation is. And two, that there is some degree of a plan to try and get out of it. And I think that's what I think the fans deserve to have at the moment. You know, we're nine days into a transfer window where for Everton have probably known since Dominic Calvert-Lewin was injured on, you know, the very early days of August. You know, they've had four months to know that they need a striker or forward more attacking options. Now, I'm not in the camp where I thought they should have had a signing lined up on the first day of January. It's very, very difficult to do something like that, even if you have the right intentions. You know, obviously Liverpool did, Chelsea did, Wolves did, but Liverpool and Chelsea, you know, have got big bank balances and they have the allure of European football and everything that, that comes with where their clubs are at the moment. Wolves have the desperation that Everton have, but they also have the money. And I don't think, obviously, whilst, um, you know, the striker Cunha was on Everton's radar. I, I don't see how spending committing to spending 45 million quid on a striker hasn't scored a goal in a league or all season. I don't think that's good business. I think that's a, a gamble that I'm pleased Everton didn't take. But when nine days in now, and we're told that Everton can buy players, we're told that there's been a plan in place for a long time. But the only gambit that's been open to Frank Lampard so far is to bring back Ellis Sims from Sunderland and all right, you know, we, we hope he does well. He's done really well at Sunderland. You know, we hope he comes here and, and, and has an impact, but you know, that's, that's a worrying sign as to where things are going. And it's already, you know, Evan, they may United throughout the FA Cup. They, you know, they, they, they lost to Brighton. Um, you know, we're on Monday, it's Southampton on Saturday. So, you know, no deal done now. The earliest anyone's surely going to be in, even if a deal gets signed off this afternoon or, or tomorrow, is is Wednesday. So, you know, how, how much of a, an impact can they have on, you know, the biggest game of, of Everton's season to date? You know, that, that's a, a concern. Uh, and also, as I say, you know, the growing fan discontent, What what is their response to that? Because 
it is becoming too loud to ignore. And I'm not saying it's necessarily the majority. <coughs> I didn't think the, the chance of sack the board that came out against Brighton, I didn't think it was the majority of people that, that said it. There were enough people saying it loud enough for it to be too loud to, to ignore, I think. And I think the problem after the Brighton game was everybody could understand that Frank Lampard was you know, under a lot of pressure and it was the obvious question to be asking. But what happened next was it was basically silence. Nobody came out and backed him publicly. And OK, a public vote of confidence isn't always the best thing. But nobody was coming out and backing him privately. No one was saying, look, you know, we don't want to say this on the record, but look, he's safe for the minute. He's, he's got the support. You know, he's the public face of this operation. And, and Everton, have, you know, Everton are a brilliant club that do so many wonderful things. And the stadium is probably one of the most important developments in this country that is ongoing at the moment. And for all that it will do for the area around it, Everton in the community saves lives every month, let alone every year. Now, I'm not saying that either of those are dependent on the club being in the Premier League, but they, you know, dropping out down to the Championship isn't going to help either. You know, it's going to, it's going to have a knock-on uh, effect on on both ways. But you know, we talk about some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. The strategic review, as it's been talked about, is it, it feels like a good thing, and there are lots of really sensible ideas that have come out of it. You know, ones that admirable long-term ambitions. The, it looks like genuine work is to you know to try and get to those places has been put in, but their long-term ambitions, you know, their long-term ambitions, their ambitions that are going to take two, three, four years before they really begin to show, and it will all go to pot if they end up in the championship next season, and then it'll be back to square one, and then it'll be you know how do we how do we have to get out of this mess? How do they deal with the catastrophe? You know, so the problem is 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 right here, right now. One of the things that Strategic Review preached, one of the main ideas of the cultural reset was the idea that the big decisions were being made by the board as a collective. Lampard is hailed as the first manager at Everton under the Mashiri regime, where everybody agreed that he was the right decision. It was the end of Mashiri bringing in Benitez on a whim. It was the end of Mashiri trying to make plays for players out of the blue and nobody else knowing what's going on. And that's all good. But the minute Lampard, who's you know almost you know hailed as one of the key pillars of the thinking of the strategic um, review, the public face of it almost, the moment he gets into any trouble, all of a sudden it's all we'll have to wait and see what Mashiri says. We'll have to wait and see what Mashiri decides. You know, where's that collegiate collective approach? Surely, surely if that's in place and that's being adhered to and everybody's following it, then you know. Come Wednesday morning, as the dust settles on the Brighton defeat, everybody knows where they stand because everybody's having a role in the decision making. So everybody knows what decision has or hasn't been made at that point. And and there wasn't any of that, and it's been silent since. And I just thought that, you know, symptomatic of a lot of issues. I I, I felt a bit sorry for Frank Lampard. You know, obviously he has to deal with the consequences of what's happening on the pitch, and he has to take a degree of responsibility for that. You know, no one's saying otherwise, including him. But I, I thought that you know, having backed him, or he said that they're backing him so much to then not stand up for him at that point, bearing in mind that they haven't dismissed him as of this point on, you know, Monday morning. Again, I, I, I thought that was was worrying. So it's not, you know, I, I fully appreciate it's very difficult for the club to work out what to say and how to say it. 
but I think they've reached a point now where I think that not saying things is is worse than sorry that it is, is worse than, than saying something and people you know some some elements of the fan base take an issue with it. Gav, you you mentioned obviously the the stadium progress, and I don't think that can be underestimated. Like you say, given that the, the problems and certainly with timing that that Tottenham had and cost, of course, which we believe is is, is locked in it. Everton, but there, I've written this myself. It's almost like there's two Everton's at the moment: the on-the-field one that is coughing and wheezing, and then the one that she's getting on with things in the stadium. But well, I guess the big problem here: Farhad Mashiri hasn't attended a game for over 14 months. He, he's not actually able to gauge opinion from Evertonian to see what the, the mood is around the club, or even you could argue make decisions over things like the manager. If he's, he's, I mean, he, I presume he's watching them on television. Well, he's not attending the matches in person. He's not there amongst Evertonians at Goodison Park. Yeah, absent owners are there. Have always been a problem with football, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Um, going back, but going back to communication. By the way, I think mm-hmm. I think I think there's another key point here around where Everton's different to other say I'd say other our traditional rivals, you know, big six or whatever. Is the difference is. Is our our support is very localized, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can actually imagine what our support fan base looks like. All the bigger clubs, it's far more intangible, isn't it? It's dispersed around the world, isn't it? And so communication, it's not. I would say in that circumstances, communication to that fan base is, is not as important at that level. Whatever with a very localized. A more a more community fan base. I think communication from from the owner to those that group of people is far more important than than other clubs. And so, so, so I'm saying a lot of clubs don't communicate. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right, but it does yeah. mean Evans' perspective. Actually, we need to do it a bit more because our because of the the you know the demographics of our our fan base, and and that goes back to your point, Chris, isn't it? Is like yeah. that. You can you can feel it, can't you? It's it's not easy to feel on un- unhappiness because it's basically within. I don't know what's Liverpool's square mileage. Yeah. I don't know hundred square miles of this. Apparently, it's exactly the same as Disney World, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very different place. Hundred and fifty square miles. That's where the fan base is, isn't it? I know, and I'm not. I'm not uh, there's obviously, and there's lots of people come from outside the city, and that's great and stuff. But actually, you know, you can actually. Envisage it geographically, and so when they're unhappy, you, you you get you get to know about it pretty pretty quickly, and and they can organize as you seen last week. It can be organized in a far in an effective way, and so Farhad needs to know that, doesn't he? But I think because it's so localized, the only way you get the feel for it is by coming. Yeah, you know, some somebody else who's a CEO of a say big club. You know, it, it, it's far easy for them, isn't it? Because it's just going social media and stuff. At Everton, because it's localised, it, you, you need to get on the ground, don't you, to understand the feelings. And those feelings were quite obvious on last week, where they last Tuesday against against Brighton. I think it. I know there are reasons why it doesn't come, but not to be here since October, is it? October 2021. Yeah. 20, yeah, yeah. To be fair, I haven't seen the last 15 minutes of that game. I've probably won to go to Goodison. Never again. Yeah. But that, you know, that's part of the communication process, isn't it? You know, just turn up. Yeah. 
you know. And the, the but the problem with Farhad is is Everton is, and it's it's for our world. Everton is mightily important. I'm sure it is for the, his world, but he's got so many others. You know, all the all the fish to fry, hasn't he? You know, he's got lots and lots of, you know, incest businesses, etc., of which Everton is one. And maybe for us as supporters, we've only got one incest. And once you get that imbalance and that relationship, that's when things get a little bit, bit murky. But but you are right. And the, the first thing I do is turn up from one game. That would be helpful as part of the communication process. And he. We said before about what an effective response would be, but I just think even from his side, the, the letters are being sent to him directly. I think I mean, it's too far out Mishiri, not to the club. It's just an acknowledgement. Thank you, I've received your letter. Be looking at the issues therein, or something like that. Would be a help because it's yeah. not silence, as Joe says. Yeah. So I mean, that's why I'm saying is it's far yeah. more important for that. Everton to communicate, you know, for Farhad to communicate effectively because we've got such a localised support that you can feel it, can't you? Far more, uh, far more tangibly than other clubs. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Paul, Rashiri is obviously um, a businessman and ultimately it would be how much he can get um, Everton sold for, possibly once the stadium's built and uh, obviously you won't get a good deal if, if they're not in the Premier League and uh, it would always, you know, we're, we're not naive enough to think that it was Farhad Mashiri's boyhood goal to make Everton great again you know, it, it's obviously a business decision and he wants them to do well because it's good business for him, but as he may have lost interest now and hence hasn't been to the game for over 14 months but there are people there who are lifelong Evertonians on the board around him the chairman Bill Kenwright, chief executive Denise Barrett-Baxendale they've been true blue since childhood, do you think they have a, a, an obligation to, to inform the owner of the, the mood and the, just um, what's going on at, at Everton even if he, he's back in Monaco you would certainly hope so Yeah, it, it... <laughs> It's difficult, isn't it? Because as Joe was explaining through the strategic review, it's just, it's the problem with having a billionaire owner who owns the vast majority of the club that you can put, you know, a strategic review in place, make it a collegiate approach, have a director of football, have a manager. But really, it all depends on Mashiri at the end of the day. And again, we've gone back to them. It was very similar with Benkies, you know, when it came to the hiring and firing of managers. It's not the way it should work, but I suppose, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's his club now, isn't it? You know, it's it, 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 the mistakes have been made on his watch, but I suppose his money is, 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 is you know, prepping the, the club up and certainly is when it, it comes towards the stadium, you know, it, it's his project. It's whether he listens. It whether he listens. I, I, Joe, you, you and Chris will know more than me. 
from the outside, obviously I speak to you guys from a work point of view, it, it seems like Mashiri has listened this last year. Uh, it seems like less of a chaotic club. It seems like, you know, the signings, whether the likes of Mopai and McNeil, particularly at this moment in time, they don't look inspired signings, but they don't seem to have been from the Mashiri signings, you know, like the, the Hollywood signings he wanted to make. And as you touched on earlier, Chris, you know, Benitez, the Cummins, he seems to have less involvement here. But now it's his club and he has to have more involvement at this point over the manager and, and, the, and the way it's going. I, I don't know enough about Bill Kenwright and Denise Barrett-Baxdale to, to understand if they have that much influence. I think they've had that influence again because Mashiri seems to be less involved than he has been in the past. But really, we're at the whims of the man who owns the club. So... I, do, I think the club is in, again, reading between the lines because I'm not one of you guys as one of the correspondents. I think it's in a difficult position because they've, it's gone from one thing to another. Manager, players, it's just been a mess probably ever since Koeman's second season, hasn't it, really, uh, at the Mashiri reign after that decent first season when we finished seventh. I think they've placed so much emphasis on this, you know, let's not rush into bad decision-making. Let's not hire and fire managers but we've actually reached a point now where the club desperately and probably even Mishiri I'd hope do not want to sack Lampard because it's proven in the past that that's not worked you know and it just leads us down this familiar path that we keep on going down every 12 to 18 months but the problem is now does it need to change again I, I think from Lampard's point of view, I might be going on a different point here now, but he it's not his fault, this situation he finds in. The squad has been... The, I think one the, the key fault line throughout Mishiri's reign is recruitment. I think like that is the biggest problem for me throughout it all. The recruitment has just been either been unlucky or it's just been so bad. We've got to a state now where we've probably had the poorest squad, certainly of his, of his time at the club. And one of the poorest squads we've had, oh God, since maybe certainly the late 90s, maybe kind of Walter Smith reign. And then, you know, should you feel for Lampard in that respect? But at the same time, the results of late have been nowhere near good enough, particularly against the teams that we've played. Brighton, Bournemouth twice, Wolves, Leicester even, even though I still think Leicester are a decent side. So I don't know what Ken Wright and I, I just think the stuff I'd, I'd love to know. This is why communication is important because if we're going to back Lampard, as Joe rightly says, at least we know this is the way we're going to, this is the way we're going to go. And, but we don't know, don't know what Mashiri's thinking. We don't know what the board's thinking. And, and, you know, to me, the problems, I said, I've talked about recruitment there, but it comes from the top because they run this club, Mashiri ultimately is the owner and then he's got a board of directors there who it seems to run it on a daily basis and it's a mess it's been a mess for for a while now I don't think the on-field coaching has been particularly good enough over the years either but I think it just comes back to what Joe was saying I I don't know I I don't know what Ken and, and Denise Barrett-Baxadell and Sam Mashiri but if they are speaking I'm surely they are describing what Joe was describing in this piece last week. This is the way we are feeling, you know, worried, scared that it could go down. And what are you going to do about it? And I, I think a big question is the manager at the moment, 
But if you've got faith in Lampard and you want to keep this approach that you've taken over the last years, explain it to us. It'd be a lot easier to hear it from them. Yeah. On, on a lighter note, there, I can hear the, the builders beavering away at Paul's there. It's yeah, a high activity like Bramley Moore Dock at the moment. But um, <laughs> if you have a football game to discuss, Joe, you and I were at Old Trafford on Friday night. I mean, I would say if Everton played like that every week, they wouldn't be in the, the bottom three. But it's a results-based business and it was another defeat. I mean, it was a much... It was a, a huge improvement on the Brighton game that preceded yeah. it. Of course it was. Um, and yeah, I thought obviously the first 10 minutes were worrying. Man United got that first goal. And, uh, you know, if conceding an early goal was the worst thing that if you thought could have happened. And it just looked like it could go terribly, terribly wrong from that point. But Everton managed to get back into the game. The, you know, one thing that we have spoken about this season that it does seem to be an improvement. It does appear to be in a degree of, of resilience there. And they, they somehow managed to get back into the game. You know, they got the goal. Conor Cody got the goal. Okay, there was a little bit of luck involved in it, but it came through perseverance as well. Obviously, um, you know, through, through Unana's, uh, Unana's strength on, on Casemiro, through Mope chasing what was essentially like a lost cause and from, you know, Cody being the first to react after the De Gea messed up. So... And then after that, they were they were in the game. Okay, okay, okay Man United threatened and had the better chances, but Everton, once they didn't create clear cut chances, always looked like they could be a danger. And at half time, you know, you thought well, we've got a real cup game on our hands first and foremost, and then you know, thought well, any results possible here. But I think then, obviously, it all changes on the first five minutes of the second half when you know you get a Wobi injured and and then a Connor Cody own goal and. But even after that, it's a, yeah. even after that, again, I'm not saying that Man United didn't have other chances, but even after that, Everton carried on battling and they got, you know, they came so close to getting that equaliser. Obviously, it was offside, but it was a brilliant move. It was a brilliant piece of play. And, you know, I think you know, the, the two things that I kind of took away from, from the game, one was I thought that the, the disallowed goal was symbolic of so much more than just a, a piece, just a move on the pitch. Yeah. You know, 75 minutes in or wherever it was, 2-1 down to a side that's probably you know, one of the most informed sides in the country at the minute. And Everton, despite everything that's going on on and off the pitch, they were still there. They were still fighting. They were still battling to the end. It looked like another example, just like at Manchester City, of that the players hadn't given up, that they you know, were still fighting for Lampard and fighting for the you know, brilliant 9,500 fans that were you know, in the away end and making their voices clear. So I thought that was, you know, I, I thought that was really, really telling. Um, and then the other, my other takeaway, if it was essentially that, you know, what it came down to with with, with the three with three things that just seemed to have characterised Frank Lampard's twelve months or so at um, at the helm at Everton. You know, you, you have the, you have you have a bad injury, and he's had so many of those. Then you have a bit of bad luck with the own goal. He's had so much bad luck. And then you have a VAR decision, which okay is right, but ultimately overturns a moment that could have could have helped Everton. So, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to make it. I don't want to say that he hasn't got any kind of responsibility for the position that Everton find themselves in on the pitch. But he has had a lot of injuries. He has a lot of bad luck, and a lot of big big calls that could have gone the other way have gone against him. So, you know, it felt quite symbolic in that bit. But um, but you know, there were there were promising signs there. Um, the hard thing is almost looking back and trying to work out where Everton are when you look back on the post World Cup games and you go, well, Wolves was a was a, an even game between two poor sides that Everton lost, but were probably the better side in. Mm-hmm. 
they, they created more, I thought. And you've got the two, the Manchester City and the Manchester United games where they, they turn up against, you know, big opposition, go away from home, all the odds against them. They produce really battling performances and are competitive. And then obviously you have the nightmare that was Brighton. So, you know, what, what we could expect going to Southampton, I've absolutely no idea. Yeah. Gav, um, before this game, you mentioned last week the last gasp defeat at Old Trafford almost 40 years ago in the FA Cup, despite the result remained one of your favourite Everton games. Is taking much satisfaction from this this latest trip to Old Trafford? Um, from from the commitments and the resilience, and after going one nil down, and you think the whole world's against you from that aspect. Um, definitely, you know it's it's shown and Joe touch on the day. And we spoke about this on Friday, isn't it? Our better performances this season have tended to be against the bigger teams, haven't they? Where we've looked a little bit more organised. At the back, where we've like played maybe made played three at the back, we've looked a little bit more solid, and we've in the, looked occasionally a threat on on the break, and as we did on on Friday. So the, the frustrating thing for me is 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 what we, we, what we've shown ourselves is good as we're good at stopping the opposition playing where there's not a lot of expectation on us. Our worst performances this season have been against teams where you're thinking. We've got to take the game to them. In theory, we've got a good chance of winning this game. And as soon as we sort of we move to a more offensive mindset, we then get stretched, don't we? And are then really vulnerable. And that happened to Bournemouth and that happened against Brighton. Even happens against Leicester at home. And that 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 again, that that game on Friday sort of displayed to me the sort of two distinct aspects of our season and the way we've performed. And on that basis, it, it probably didn't show me anything that I didn't really know because I said that on Friday, didn't I? Mm. I expected a good perform, you know, a resilient performance organised. That's what we've been against the better teams. And But yeah, it was, if you put that up against Brighton, setting that aside, if you put it up against Brighton, you'd be wondering whether you're watching the same team, wouldn't you really? With all due respect. So, like, I mean, last Tuesday it was a shambles. Um the will be injury is hopefully not as bad as first thought. We've got a free week anyway, haven't we? Um, it, I wouldn't like to say this, but it's my birthday at the end of January and it always go well in the last weekend, knowing full well that we probably haven't got a game. And <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's it's come up trumps again this year. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Wobie's injury is not as bad as first thought. So that's good news in some respects. VAR is just one of them, isn't it? Um but what you took from the VR, it was a great move, wasn't it? Why, why have we done that this season more often? We've only shown signs of that against was Palace at home. Yeah. It's obviously in there, isn't it? Um, but and, and also as well, I took some good... I think Tamari Gray's been excellent, hasn't he? Even mm. against Brighton, he's probably one of our better players. Take that, hopefully he can keep that form up. So there was some positives, but I was taking that because that's the only way you're going to improve. Just think... Four backs, I think we're looking a bit vulnerable, and um, you know we, we're lacking obviously a, an outlet up front to, to a degree. But yeah, in all things considered, it wasn't an embarrassment in front of the nation that we perhaps some people were expecting or you know expecting or even wishing for if you were an Everton fan. Yeah, so yeah, some good stuff, but it also highlighted our sort of Jekyll and Hyde character this season. Yeah. I mean, uh, finally, Paul, I mean, um, 
you said it's tough times for all Blues at, at the moment, but could you glean much from, from that um, performance despite ultimately another defeat? Yeah, I'll try and keep this brief because the, uh, the, the work on our house is ongoing. But no, completely. It's like, it's like you said uh, after the City game, typical evidence, isn't he? Just thought when you're out, he pulled yeah. you back in, don't they? And I, I, I honestly thought it was a better performance than City. I really enjoyed the second half. I really enjoyed the way we played. Just as Joe said, it's just rotten luck as well. Lampard has, has, has not enjoyed much of that during his time in charge. You know, a Wolby goes off, we can see the known goal. You know, we have a goal disallowed, then they get a I think a fairly soft penalty as well. Uh, but I, it's difficult, isn't it? Because do we line up that way at home to Southampton on Saturday? Whereas Gav rightly says the onus has got to be on us. But at the same time, I don't know whether we can play like that because I think we struggled. I think we did that against Brighton. I think we started well against Brighton for 10 minutes. But then it's almost like those kind of teams just wait for us to run out of steam, really, because we're not the most creative side in the world. Uh, and then they just pick us off. Uh, and Bright, which Brighton did to, to great effect, kind of thing. I, I I think Lampard has probably just got to go with that again. Similar kind of formation, yeah. uh, and if it means what some people were perceived to be more negative, so be it. You know, if we if we go if if come five o'clock on Saturday we beat Southampton one 0 that would everyone would take that right now. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 again, there's question marks over the manager given the results. But there's no question. Not I don't, apart from maybe those, those Bournemouth games. Certainly the the three nil one on the Saturday. I don't think these players are, are lacking effort really. And I think you know the City game after the Wolves one, the United one after the uh, the Brighton one proves that they are playing for him. Uh, but you know results are needed, aren't they now? Like yeah. We took the positives from it that we went there and played pretty well against probably the most informed team in the country at the moment. But the bottom line is we still went out, but without we, we didn't have much luck either. In many respects, I, I never want Evans to go out of a cup competition because it's been so long since we've won we've won silverware. But it, it might be a silver line in that in the fact that it gives us an extra week off to get players like a we we'll back home yeah. to get one, two, three more bodies in. But these next two games Southampton, West Ham, absolutely crucial for, for, for the Lampard, the players, fans, the club, everything really. It's uh, But if we play like we did, particularly second half against United, against Southampton, why can't we go and win that? Yeah. I say it's a, a week's a long time in politics. It's a long time at Goodison Park at the moment. <laughs> and we'll be back with you on uh, Friday, whatever may be, to uh, preview that Southampton uh, fixture. So thank you, Joe. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you, Paul. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.